What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sinners Podcast, episode 153 on this Wednesday, October 26th, 2022. Fresh off the bye. Ready to hit Ames. Josh Calloway in OKC. Brian Chapman at Tyler Media right there behind him in OKC as well. John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Are we rested up? Do we feel good for the stretch run after the bye? Nope. I'm glad you asked. I'm thinking about changing to wide receiver for the rest of the season. Just <laughs> let you guys know. Your heart's so, on offense. My heart's on offense. Yeah, I, I don't blame you one bit. I'm just excited that uh, this is the closest that Josh and I get to pod on the midweeks. We're about a mile and a half from each other as opposed to uh, the normal massive uh, gaping holes of land that, that separate us. Yeah, you should have just came over at that point. We should just right. be right here. And we'll just two-man it. Um, yeah, no, I it, it feels good after the bye. Um, I, I think that that weekend off is going to serve well for everyone. Um, I feel I feel a lot better going into uh, the final five games here. Got some good road trips coming up. Going to be a fun finish of the season. Like Brent Venable said in his press conference yesterday, all the games are winnable. They're all losable. Should be an entertaining finish. This The end of the season could go a lot of different ways. And uh, it's going to be fun to see how it shakes out. We'll be in Ames this weekend. We'll break that matchup down in just a little bit, of course. But let's start with kind of wrapping up the bye week, if you will. Who have you dove into what to kind of expect, both trends from Brent Venable's past and whatnot, on what we should see after the bye? Because obviously we talked about it a lot. Anybody who's been with us uh, for a while was with us last season. Oh, you sucked after the bye with Lincoln Riley. Um, yeah. It was a weird problem, um, and it was bad last year. That Baylor game was right after the bye, and it was probably the worst game they played all year, uh, or either that or the Kansas game, even though they won that. Uh, that That's really your conversation. So I know you put that to bed with a new regime and actually do what you're supposed to do after a bye and look refreshed and rested and be better. It's going to be interesting to see how that looks. Yeah, Bob Stoops had nothing but success after the open date uh, with that stretch of between 2009 and 2014. He, he was about 500. But early in his career and late in his career, he had great success after a bye week. Um, you look at what and, – and, of course, Brent Venables was a huge part of those early Bob Stoops teams, right? So he knows what the formula is or the secret sauce or whatever you want to call it. He goes to Clemson, and Clemson is something like uh, 12 and 1, 13 and 1, whatever it was, after a, a bye week when Brent Venables was at Clemson under Dabo Swinney. So he knows what to do. He knows what the formula is and what the roadmap is to get through. How much do you practice? How much do you back off? How much do you give them? How much do you take? So you got to believe that they're going to be better just as a trend overall, long haul, than they were under Lincoln Riley. The Sooners were 4 and 3. After an open date, regular season games after an open date, four and three, which it's mind blowing when you when you put it into context of how good Stoops was. So, yeah, Lincoln never figured it out. And um, who knows if Brent will 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 know, you know, in about five years what his uh, what his trends are. But I get the feeling he's, you know, he gave him some time off. Look at the look. He talked about this team being um, tired after seven straight weeks. And after the Texas game, you know, and they, they had a game after that, of course, played Kansas. But uh, he talked about him being tired, needing to be refreshed. So what did he do? He gave him two light days, one heavy day, a, a community service day, and then three days off, uh, which was brilliant for all of us because there was no media last week, uh, no media availability. So we were able to, to refresh as well. But, yeah, that's uh, it's something that he's going to have to figure out as he goes. And each team is different. Each team has different needs. Well, especially too, one one of the, I don't know if it's a problem, I don't know if it's a, a solution, whatever, is that um, not a ton of depth on both sides of the ball, but the guys that are there for the most part are a lot of veteran guys, right? So it, it kind of served what they need to do on both ends. Deshaun White talked about it on Monday night about how it was very professional, how it was handled of a, you guys need to be locked in, we're going to give you these lighter days, but also you got to be locked in mentally because if for the linebackers, for instance, if, if Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, and Jaron Kanick are getting those reps on, on that particular uh, drill or whatever, you guys still need to be in it just because you're physically not going through it, things like that. And so I think the players are appreciative of it. Deshaun White, again, talked about you don't realize how much you're on your feet over the course of a football season until 
you're hitting the off week and, and they kind of throttle it down a little bit and everyone seems refreshed and rejuvenated. And we know it paid dividends against Kansas, right? Because even before the bye week, that was a week that it wasn't the week off against Kansas. It wasn't the just the Monday walkthrough <laughs> that was last yeah. year. But there was a yeah, there were a few less first team reps for those nailed on starters that, that kind of put some juice back in their legs. And that's kind of what Brent Middles has talked about um, dating back to that Kansas press conference of this is the time of the year anyway, where you start to tailor down some of the physical stuff, ramp up the mental and that's any team. So it'll be interesting to see what this Oklahoma team looks like on, on Saturday, because you're not expecting wholesale changes. It is a lot of veteran guys. And if they could have uh, gone through some of the mental stuff and, and, and are fresher, maybe that'll help this team perform through the last five weeks. We'll have to see. Yeah, obviously the buy also an opportunity to, you know, theoretically get healthier. Uh, the big one for Oklahoma is Billy Bowman. Uh, Brent Venables talked about that a little bit yesterday. Was He didn't really get – he said there was no timetable yet. I didn't really get a great sense that he was going to play, but it, he also didn't really rule it out either. So we'll see. Obviously, we know how important he is to that OU defense. Arguably, Oklahoma's, you know, best defensive player. He's certainly in the conversation for that. He's for the top. So we don't know if Billy Bowman's going to be back. Oklahoma's two worst games of the year were when he played like two seconds and then we didn't play at all, TCU – and Texas, how important is it to get Lee Bowman back ASAP? Can they get through Iowa State, who's not an offensive juggernaut by any means, but you want to get this guy back on the field for the reasons I just said. I mean, you're kind of thin in the secondary. He's arguably one of your best defensive players. You need him back soon, you would think. Yeah, sooner than later is the way Brent talked about it, and and that's probably for the best to get him back sooner sooner than later. Uh, Key Lawrence had the hamstring there earlier in the season. He seems to be okay now, uh, but you miss Billy Bowman. What do you do? You put uh, Woody Washington over there from corner to safety. Um, who knows how that eventually shook things out? Because DJ Graham played a lot more with uh, Woody Washington at corner or at uh, safety, and now you're seeing. DJ Graham move over to wide receiver. So there's, there's like fallout unexpectedly from one guy being injured. You put a freshman like Robert Spears Jennings in, he came in, had some nice plays, but clearly he's a freshman. He needs time to grow into that role, uh, being a leader and being uh, someone that the coaches and the players can count on. Had a nice hit on uh, Jason Bean, the uh, quarterback, uh, really drove him out of bounds, drove him, hit him so hard. He knocked him under the bench and, and it was a clean hit, perfectly done. Well-timed. Everything about it was what old-school Sooner fans like and miss about the game back in the 80s and 90s, right? So um, it's better if they have Billy Bowman because he is kind of that quarterback of the defense in some ways, especially the secondary. You see how they play without their quarterback on offense and playing similarly without their quarterback on defense. So, yeah, my my sense, and I'm just guessing here, it's Wednesday, it's noon. Um, we get to – maybe peek in a little bit at practice at the end of practice and the final few minutes of practice, we get a couple of seconds of watching with our own eyes, no video, of course. Uh, but you see Billy Bowman out there running at a pretty good clip. And so they're trying to get him back, get him moving. Brent Venables talked about stability and, you know, getting, getting back in football fitness, f- football shape. That means he's running. So if he can, if he can get to full speed, kind of like what uh, Chris Kleiman said about Adrian Martinez, if he can get to full speed some point during the middle of the week, maybe he can play, come in and play the majority of the snaps. Yeah, it'll be interesting just because um, outside of Billy Bowman, it feels like Justin Harrington's a guy that was moved over mostly to safety since it's been Deshaun White and only Deshaun White at the Cheetah, really. Uh, for the most part of the season, you haven't seen a ton of him. It's been Broyles and, and Trey Morrison and Key Lawrence kind of in that rotation on the back end. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see what those solutions are if a Robert Spears Jennings, if Billy Bowen doesn't play, can kind of get a few more snaps, what that looks like. Did did Harrington earn some trust on on the practice field? Things like that. And then a a big problem this defense has just had, too, is we mentioned DJ Graham flipping over. That also, the the emergence of CJ Colden helps out with that. Woody Washington bouncing from safety to corner, Things in this defense are much more complicated than the Alex Grinch defense, right? Everyone knows that. You need communication. And Oklahoma hasn't really had a set back five in the secondary yet with all the moves and, and all that stuff they've had to do. 
Key Lawrence being in and out, Billy Bowman. So I, I wonder if that also contributes to some of the miscommunication, things like that. Because I know that the, the goal of the defense is everyone knows what everyone's doing. That way you understand how you fit into all this. Well, it's clear that guys can't do their own jobs right now in some instances on some plays, much less understanding the defense as a whole. And that's what's to be expected when you're in year one, right, of a new system. Having all of that shuffling and rotating on the back end can't have helped that the communication and busts and things like that just because of injury and the wear and tear of a season. What do you guys make of the, uh, we haven't talked about it that much, of the DJ Graham move to receiver? Brent Venables finally shed a little light on it, not a lot, but he shed some light on it at his press conference yesterday, just kind of pretty much making it sound like it was DJ Graham's decision. Like he wanted to play offense. He said his love is offense. Whenever he came to Oklahoma, the thought was that he could have a chance to play either way, depending on how things shook out. And he's on offense now where there seemingly isn't really a need for him. I mean, the receiver spot is pretty deep. Yep. Um, where it's almost the exact opposite at the others. And the corner spot was kind of, was really thin there for a minute. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird deal um, with, with DJ making this move. Cause it doesn't seem like there's a path to him being on the field this year on offensively, at least. It's I'd say it's unexpected because he was playing so much. He was play, he was in the rotation. I think he had gotten a start or two, if I'm not mistaken, at some point. Um, maybe not. Maybe he had, maybe he had, maybe it had been Woody and, uh, and um, Jaden Davis. Um, Davis. Yeah. But, um, but he had been coming in first guy off the bench. Um, and it's like you said, the, the receiver position is pretty loaded. It's not like you're just going to go over there and start running those plays and be at that level. You need time to adjust in. You've only got five games left. So what this looks like to me, again, I'm offering an educated guess. I'm not reporting anything. I don't have any inside sources that are telling me this, but what it looks like is he's, he might be laying a foundation for the future. In other words, he wants to play receiver next year. And if you read the body language, guys, um, Ted Roof, um, Jeff Levy, Brent Venables, all three of them were asked about it this week at the press conferences. The two coordinators said, you'll have to ask Coach Venables. End of discussion. Venables had the shortest answer that he's had in 10 months of doing this, which is he and his dad talked. Uh, we talked about it. His offense is where his heart lies, and so he wanted to switch to offense. End of discussion. You read all that stuff together, put it all together, try to read between the lines, and and I get the feeling that DJ Graham is not happy playing defense at Oklahoma. Yeah, just because, like you guys have both said, it makes no sense as far as where does he fit into the offense, things like that, because the problem at wide receiver has not been who's going to catch the football. It's are there enough footballs to go around because Braden Willis is deserving of eight to 10 targets a game. Marvin Mims is obviously deserving of eight to 10 targets a game. Jill Farouk has come on strong and really spun out of that Alamo bowl into a breakout season here. Oh, by the way, you're still underutilizing Drake Stoops. And oh my God, every time Gavin Freeman gets on the field, he proves he's a gamer. Shout out Jeff Levy. Uh, so th- there are not enough touches to go around right now already on top of how much they want to feed Eric Gray and Javante Barnes. So th- this is Clearly to me, and again, this is just lo- looking at the situation, A, I'm not long for playing corner, whether that's DJ Graham saying I'm not long for playing corner or the coaches saying we- we've worked with them, worked with them, worked with them. Like, I don't know which side that is, but by the way that Brent Venables talked about it, it definitely felt like a DJ Graham wants to play wide receiver. So just go ahead, make that move now and get that head start. There's no reason to, to finish out the year at corner when CJ Collins come on and Gentry Williams was mentioned by Ted Roof amongst all the other freshmen so that he was giving away all the information, know the information at once. That's a savvy old coach move. But Gentry Williams did get a mention as far as a guy that took some strides in the off week. So maybe he's able to work in there and get a a small, small handful of snaps. I think Kanai Walker's number two at one of the corners on the depth chart right now, too. So there's another name. Um, The thing that may be the most telling, and maybe this is one of those situations where Hoover's puts his um, um, deputy dog kind of nose on and starts sniffing around for clues when there are none, right? I'm reading too much into the situation, right? They didn't even bother to give him an alternate number last week uh, against Kansas two weeks ago when they said, yeah, you can move to wide receiver. And he comes out now, hey, guys, I'm a wide receiver now. And he comes out and he's wearing number nine. 
which is the same number as the best player on the team, Braden Willis. You're not playing on the offense at all if Braden Willis is on the field because he has the same numbers. You're not allowed to duplicate numbers. They didn't even bother giving him a new number. So maybe it was so late in the week that they couldn't do anything with the jersey, but at the same time they have that that throw-on jersey that you can wear if you're going to play on special teams and the same as a as duplicate number. They didn't even bother. So I don't think he's going to play wide receiver at all this year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, throw on a, another guy's – the names just come right off. I mean, just throw it on anything. Yeah, so, I mean, that was, that was telling. I agree with you on that because you thought they'll throw something on him and maybe he'll get out there and some – because – we know he can catch. Yep. We've seen that. He's got hands, but um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a ploy. For, it's a move for the future. Um, maybe a, a guy who's looking ahead to you know maybe again guessing you know looking ahead another place to play, saying hey, I can play both offense and defense. Who knows? We'll see. We all like TJ Graham. We all have always felt like his he's incredibly smart. His football IQ is high. He's very athletic. Obviously, it never added up to where this guy should be a big part of your team. And it's never felt like he was that last year or this year. Maybe this is what gets him there um, he's, down the he's road. He's great in interviews too. He's one of the top five awesome. guys on the team in interviews. Yeah. Awesome. So I don't know. We'll see how that shakes out uh, here. If he does get in there at all the rest of the season and if uh, watching, he, he'll, that would be kind of like something. He comes in and makes like a big play at some point, like in <laughs> Bedlam or something, catches a big touchdown. That'd be OBJ that'd be, catch. <laughs> right. Right. You could, you could almost, you could see it. You could see it happening. Why not? Um, so we're on the home stretch here. We're going to break down the Iowa state game in just a minute. Real quick. Um, we'll wrap up this segment. There's five games left. We talked about it a lot. Two good teams. I guess I don't really know what Baylor is. Maybe I should take the good label off them for the, for the moment. We have Baylor and Oklahoma state. Who's at worst, probably the second best team in the big 12 Oklahoma state is. And you could make the argument that on a neutral field, they have a very good shot to beat TCU. But we'll, we'll call them the second best team for now. They're at home, and you got to go to Iowa State, to West Virginia, to Texas Tech, who are three of the bottom teams in the conference, but it's all on the road, and the conference is really, really deep, like we said. Power rank these games. What, what in your mind is the most difficult game left? Is it Bedlam, even though it's at home, or is it one of these road trips that stick out? And uh, you know, where does this game Saturday fall, I guess, into that? W- which one of these games stands out to you as that's, that's going to be the tricky one? Yeah, they're all tricky. There and and there's a there's a degrees of of trickiness, but the two best teams they they face are in Norman, so you'd think they're winnable because they're playing a home game. They're so good at home, and the three easy teams, easy being in quotation marks, um, the three bottom of the of the standings type teams that they're playing, they're all on the road, and it's always tricky to go to Morgantown and Ames and Lubbock. Always something funky happens in Lubbock. Something funky happens in, in Ames and OU's undefeated in Morgantown still, but you just know at some point that that thing is going to turn. It's coming. I don't know. I, I went through, I handicapped each game and said, put a percentage chance on each one. See if you guys agree with me here. I got o- Oklahoma's chance of winning at Iowa State, 60, 60%. 60% chance of winning. That's not high. Um, Baylor. At home, 55%. Okay, now we're getting down the road a little bit. That's November 12th. But uh, the following week, go on the road at West Virginia. I got 65%. That's not a great amount of confidence, 65% at West Virginia. Oklahoma State, um, they're they're looking better. They beat Texas at home. This is a team that has clearly got flaws. They come into Norman. I'm saying the chance of OU beating them in Norman right now, right now, if they played this week, would be forty percent. There's a lot of there's a lot to like about OU winning nine of the last ten against Oklahoma State in Norman. Okay, but Oklahoma State's a better team right now, so I got it at forty percent. And then Texas Tech, I got that one at fifty five percent season finale in Lubbock. They're all tricky. They're all going to be a, a real challenge. Yeah, I look at um, Oklahoma's glaring hole is the defense, right? And so when you look at that. Oklahoma State has that blend of offense and defense. They're obviously the most difficult game left. Baylor, Reese, what he's done in that run game, coming on strong. Oklahoma can't stop the run. They just can't do it. So for me, that's still the second most difficult. Then you give me Texas Tech at third just because of how efficient they are throwing the football. Um, Tough road trips, all of them. But I would put Iowa State at fifth and and West Virginia at fourth just because – I know that Iowa State has 
the best defense, that's going to be a big struggle. Iowa State's run game is laughable. It's so bad in the 120s. That's OU's biggest weakness. And so not that OU's going to go out there and shut down the run and have a ton of success, but Iowa State is the team least equipped to hurt Oklahoma on the ground. And if Oklahoma can have success on the ground, then Brent Venables can get a little bit more creative in throwing more help over to the nine and a half on average catches a game that Xavier Hutchinson has. If And so that that's the, the team that Oklahoma's most likely to stop the run against. So they have the bigger weapon between the, the West Virginia and Iowa State offenses, but give me Oklahoma being able to more easily handle that. So I'd take West Virginia as the fourth most difficult, and then this Iowa State game on paper, the quote-unquote easiest in a slate that's not easy at all. They could lose all of these games very easily. Absolutely could. Uh, like Brent Venable said, his presser yesterday, they're all winnable, they're all losable. I agree completely. It's exactly what we said in the postgame show after the Kansas game. Um, they are all winnable and all all losable. Um, I'm pretty much agree with with um, with the way Hoop had it kind of stacked up. I would maybe move Baylor. Baylor is so weird. Um, they might stink. I, I don't know. I don't know what ba- I don't know what Baylor is coming into the year. I thought they were the best team in the conference. They were picked to win. Most people did, but they're they've had some ugly ugly games. Um, I don't know. I don't really know what they are, but I do think that the, I think maybe the two trickiest are Bedlam. Just because Oklahoma State is clearly the best team of this group, but then I think Lubbock at the end is going to be really tough. I mean, last game of the year in Lubbock, that just feels like a night game, and I don't know that that feels like a a, a hard one. Um, that place is insane. Um, the place is scary. That place is it's a frightening place. Um, their students legitimately scare me a little bit, so that's going to be nuts. Um, and yeah. I, that's going to be a tough one. They're all tough, though. Like, like we said, they're all tough. And you better find a way to get the one. If it's there for you to win it, you need to take advantage of it because you don't want to lose, you know, four of these. All of a sudden, you're looking at five and seven, and you didn't make a bowl, and that would be a disaster. So we'll see how it shakes out. But it's going to be fun. That's for sure. Every game going to be entertaining. And we're going to break down this next one in the second segment. Oklahoma, Iowa State. What are we watching for? What are the expectations? All that good stuff. Full OU Iowa State preview coming up in the next segment right here on the All Sooners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the all-star service program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the all-star service agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pro's price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pro's 405 639 9991 or check out their website tradeprosokc.com on twitter you can follow all sooners at all underscore sooners ryan's at underscore ryan chapman who's at john e hoover I'm at Josh M. Callaway. Our website is allcenters.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two, Oklahoma-Iowa State preview time. Sooners and Cyclones, 11 o'clock Saturday morning in Ames. Jack Trice Stadium, we're all going to be there. It's looking cold. To be honest, it's looking cold. I think by the time the game gets going, it'll get to tolerable. It's going to be all right, but in the morning... Like driving up to the stadium and walking in, bundle up. I think it's going to be pretty frigid uh, at Jack Trice, which is funny because the only other time I've been there, it was blazing. It was like early September, and it was really, really hot. So it's a, uh, a bit of a switch around uh, this time around. For Oklahoma and Iowa State, Cyclones come in. It's been heavily documented by OU, by Brent Venables, the coordinators, the players, that Iowa State's four losses this year have all been one-possession games. So three and four, they haven't won any Big 12 games, but every game they've played has been close. Um, the last game they played, they're also coming off a bye. Two weeks ago, they had Texas on the ropes in Austin, probably should have beat them. They had them 
dead to rights and let them get away pretty much in that game in Austin. They have a really good defense. Offense is kind of gross. Um, don't have a lot. They have Xavier Hutchinson, who's maybe the best receiver in the conference. But other than that, there's just not a lot of weapons there. All that being said, it's a one-point spread for OU. Favorite, right? Last I checked, at least. OU was a one-point favorite in Ames. What are some early thoughts on this ball game here? I, this is a hard game to get a read on. It is. It, you're 100% right. It's a hard game to predict because um, Iowa State plays a different brand of defense than just about everybody else in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, their scores in the Big 12, seven-point loss to Baylor at home when Baylor was ranked number 17. Um, three-point loss on the road at KU when KU was undefeated. Uh, number 22, Kansas State hosts them, Iowa State, and the final score was 10-9. to 10-9. Uh, and then, and then at number 22, Texas last week, you mentioned it had a chance at the end. Was his knee down? Did he fumble? Did he get hit in the head? You know, should there have been targeting called? They end up losing 24, 21 to Texas in Austin. So yeah, then they get an open date last week. They're able to kind of rest, recoup, recover. And you just feel like Iowa state is on the verge of breaking through, getting, getting over that hump. Uh, the way they play defense, you guys, uh, is very impressive because they don't have a ton of, of all-stars. They don't have a f- bunch of future NFL draft picks on this defense. Uh, what they do have is a scheme and a coaching staff that knows what they're doing with that scheme. And they get guys that have, as Brent Venable said multiple times yesterday, they buy in to that scheme. So that three-three-five that John Haycock runs is an impressive scheme, but at the same time, the players buy in and the level of, of uh, commitment and the effort that you see them play with every play, it's uh, it's different than what you see else, elsewhere in the uh, Big 12. And that's why I asked Ted Roof about it. Is there anything unique? Is there anything that jumps out at you? I know you're the defensive coach and your job is to watch the other team's offense, but how much respect do you have for the job that they do defensively? Because it's unique. You don't see guys uh, on, a, on a whole, on the, on the regular, like, like Iowa State making tackles with that kind of percentage, not missing tackles, not having coverage busts, not having uh, missed run fits uh, on every other play. You see that throughout the Big 12, even when the Big 12 is pretty decent at defense, Iowa State doesn't do any of that, like almost ever. That's why they're so fundamentally sound. Yeah, it'll be a massive test of this offensive line, right? Because uh, something that Brent Venables talked about that, that, Iowa State does really well is that when you can get into that three three five. I I think you actually talked about this on this coaches show Monday night. It, it all runs together a little bit, but it, but when you uh, when you are that good at what you do, you can present a perfectly balanced picture every single snap, which tips your hand not at all to the opposing offense. Right. So Andrew Rame, Dylan Gabriel, are going to be working together to understand that. The few times that there is a little bit of pressure, things do look a little bit different. What does that picture look like? Things like that. They're going to have to run the ball. Brent Venables talked about I thought he had a really good quote about everyone says against this kind of defense, you have to take what they give you, which is fine. But it also, you have to execute with great precision to make sure that, hey, if you get in the right play call on this run play, you've got to get your seven yards on that run play because they're not going to give that to you again. That's how disciplined this defense is. So that'll be interesting. Then on the other side, here's the, like, I already talked about Iowa State's inability to run the football. Xavier Hutchinson, you'll know it's coming, right? Woody Washington talked about that, that everyone knows that the ball's coming a ton to Xavier Hutchinson. And Hunter Deckers has shown at times he can be frisky, but he's a turnover machine. He, he he can't stop throwing interceptions. He can't stop fumbling the football, whether it's knee down, gets pummeled, anything like that. But that's going to be the difference. You have to force those turnovers to take those possessions away. And, oh, by the way, this Oklahoma defense has uh, reverted back to the days of making backup quarterbacks look like Heisman contenders. So Hunter Deckers can be that frisky quarterback, and this feels like the perfect formula for him to come out and have his breakout day where he doesn't throw those interceptions and he does make those plays to Xavier Hutchinson and, and Iowa State puts a couple of points on the board. So it's going to be fascinating what the, what the give and take is on this because everything that you'd feel confident about attacking the Iowa State offense, you're like, okay, well, Oklahoma also stinks at defending the run. So maybe Iowa State has some success on the ground. Okay, Oklahoma has really struggled with Quinn Johnson, Xavier Worthy, those guys. Now you got Hutchinson coming in who's a more physical version of that. So – uh 
it's an interesting matchup of strength on strength, offense versus defense, OU offense versus Iowa State defense, then weakness on weakness, which is why I think a lot of people are like, yeah, that's a one, one and a half point line, and no one knows what to do with it. I thought this was kind of surprising. We, we mentioned right now I got OU's favored by one on the, on the nose. No no hook. ESPN's matchup predictor. I don't, know if you, I don't put a lot of stock in that, but it's, it's interesting to look at. You might, you might be surprised by this. 62.2% chance that Iowa State wins at home. So that has them as a heavy favorite, which is interesting. You know, that's a that's a big number, 62.2%. Mm-hmm. This game, that just kind of goes to show that this game is, is a, it, it feels like a pick em in reality. I mean, it could really go either way. Um, Hoove, what, what, what's the matchup that you're watching the most as far as Oklahoma needs to win that if they're going to win this game? Is it yeah. – Making sure you get some points on the board. I mean, is it getting a rush on Decker? I mean, what is it to you that stands out? Is Oklahoma's got to take advantage of that? So it's interesting. Um, Ryan mentioned the the weakness on weakness and the strength on strength. Um, Oklahoma's offense, when it's running at its absolute best, is not as good as Iowa State's defense when Iowa State's defense is running at its absolute best. So I would give the advantage to Iowa State there, and then. It's kind of a push with who's worse, Iowa State's offense or Oklahoma's defense. Historically, recently, uh, it's kind of a push. So who's got the advantage? Do we have to turn to special teams? Do we have to turn to like X factors and block kicks and who makes the clutch field goal mm-hmm. into the wind with two minutes left? Uh, do we have to you know look at field position and runbacks and 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 things like that? Uh, hang time and his punting, right? Do, how, how are these other factors going to play into the game? Uh, is somebody going to get a scoop and score that you can't predict, that you don't expect? Um, this is going to be one of those thunderclap games where nothing's going on, nothing's going on, nothing's going on, and all of a sudden something happens, and it's a thunderclap, and it's boom, six points the other way, and you're like, okay, that could be the turning point in the game. That's, that's going to be just the way these teams are structured. Who's got the advantage in special teams? I, I don't really know. Um, Oklahoma special teams have been pretty good. I don't know how good Iowa State's has been, but it hasn't been good enough to allow them to make a difference in any of the games. They're still 0-4 in conference play, so maybe that's where Oklahoma has a slight advantage. Well, and, and that's where some of the, okay, I, I we ran the story on Sunday, right? Key Lawrence looking like Key Lawrence again against Kansas. When, when he was playing his best last year, he was a forced fumble uh like one of those guys that was around the football and the Jalen Redmond, you mentioned the scoop and score, the Jalen Redmond scoop and score last year against Iowa state who forces that. That's a forced fumble by key Lawrence. So having a guy like that on the field, that's really important. Having a healthy CJ Colden, the only one in the secondary who's looks like he's given a rip about catching footballs, have him on the field. That's really important. That's why we talk. If Billy Bowman can find a way to, to get cleared and get on the field, he's a guy that too, though he hadn't hauled an interception yet jumping routes, things like that. Like the, the the chances should be there to force turnovers, but the key word is what this defense I don't think has seemed to understand. I, I know they get it and they're just not able to make the play is that we call it forcing a turnover for a reason. Uh, you're not going to get a Quinn Ewers, oh my God, that ball was supposed to go out of bounds and it happened to hang up and C.J. Colden was able to basically fair catch it in the cotton ball. That. That's the only like gimme this Oklahoma defense has gotten, and they struggle to be in position and then capitalize. So Iowa State, we know if if Dylan Gabriel has an errant pass, Iowa State's probably going to pick it off if a guy's in the area. That's what they do. That that's what that defense does. So that's why defensively for Oklahoma, getting as close to full strength or getting some new faces on the field who you know are, are fighting to rally to the football and make good things happen. That could be what flips the game, and that's probably what will flip the game, Wh- whoever kind of wins that turnover battle and, and is able to not have a, a massive mess up on special teams. Yeah, and Josh, just to re- reiterate what you asked me was what's what's a, a matchup, a specific matchup you're looking forward to. It's got to be Oklahoma's offensive line and how they perform against that front six slash seven that Iowa mm-hmm. State puts out there. Uh, Will McDonald is an All-American. Brent Venable said, mentioned in my name. That's not the most common thing for the opposing head coach to mention by name the other team's best player, but Brent Venables did. Will McDonald, defensive end. He's 6'3", 236. Listen to this, you guys. You're going to love these matchups. Uh, J.R. Singleton is a defensive tackle. Uh, Isaiah Lee plays nose guard. 
Singleton's 300. Isaiah Lee is, is 292. Their edge rusher on the other side, he doesn't play it. Uh, he doesn't start. He doesn't uh, play a ton, but he's listed as the starter at uh, at defensive end if they were to ever go to four. Um, Blake Peterson's 260. Now their linebackers run 231, 260 in the middle. That's a Ryan Vance and 242. 231, 260, and 242. And then they play that three safety alignment. Guess how big their safeties are? 212, 214, and 207. They've got big guys everywhere. And then one of their corners is small, uh, not maybe not small, but Anthony Johnson, um, six foot 207 as a free safety. He's got 48 consecutive starts. So I'm looking at their two deep, and it's just, it really jumps out at you the amount of experience they have and the size that they, they back it up with. It hasn't really set in for me that it's not going to be Brock Purdy catching the snaps. Yeah. Uh, he was there forever. Um, and it's a good thing because we're still in Brocktober, so they would have caught him one more time before the month was <laughs> over, which would have been disastrous uh, for Oklahoma. It's really almost a, a shame for the for the Cyclones. I wonder if Iowa State fans feel like if we could have just had those guys for like maybe one more year to go with what this defense is we could really had something because Iowa State was so close a few years there. We're in the Big 12 championship game a couple years ago. Spencer Rattler beat them. You know, it, they were kind of poking up, couldn't ever quite break through, and now they've, you know, kind of taken this tiny step back. But Matt Campbell's a really good coach. Um, well, I'm sure they'll be ready to go uh, on Saturday, that's for sure. So if you had to narrow it down to one key for Oklahoma, we talked about a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of matchups and things like that. Oklahoma has to do – blank to win this game or if they do blank they win this game um it's still brocktober you know gyro brock is their uh is their leading rusher. gyro brock true. it's still brocktober he averages five yards a carry he only has two touchdowns on the season um if yeah if uh if oklahoma is going to win this game they have to not turn the football over that's obvious and and first and foremost i'll be captain obvious on that one uh but the other thing is they have to block that Iowa State front seven that I talked about. They have to get the they have to get to their assignment. Um, it's a little it can be a little bit confusing not knowing who to block. We've talked about in the past. Go back to the 2017 game when they brought that rush three drop eight thing to uh, to Norman and beat Baker Mayfield and Lincoln Riley, the best offensive coach and the best player in America that year. Right? They didn't know what to do against those guys when they when Baker would drop back it was like where are my receivers there was nobody open so um, that's something that they're gonna gonna try and confuse Dylan Gabriel so what they're gonna have to do is at times when they need to they need to run the football effectively they need to be able to move the chains and it just so happens that you've got the nation's leading rusher in terms of yards per carry in Eric Gray if they can get him going a little bit, and then come in with one of those change of pace guys, be able to run the football. And it's all on the offensive line. It's not on Eric Gray. It's not on Marcus Major. It's not on anybody else. It's on the old line to get those guys blocked, to get them just a, a little sliver of daylight to run through. Yeah, I'll, I'll go on the other side of the ball. They're going to have to find a way to stop the run. Like I mentioned, that's the one thing, the one thing that this Iowa State team is just awful at is running the football everything else deckers has moments hutchinson's awesome the defense is obviously the best in the conference oklahoma has to find a way to overcome their shortcomings and say we are going to make you one-dimensional because if iowa state's able to run the football and you're reliant on woody washington who's not like a, a overly big super athletic kind of corner right if you're having to rely on that or cj colden the technician is as woody washington kind of had labeled him at big 12 media day way back when if you're having to rely on key lawrence or justin burrows over the top on Hutchinson, like that's just not a great recipe when you also have to respect the run game if you're able to to really buckle down defensively and just do one thing well which is stop the run then you can use every resource at your disposal to say, we're going to try everything to stop Hutchinson and make somebody else through the year beat you. And I'm not sure that Iowa State has anybody else that, that can really, like Charlie Kolar is not there to, to torment the defense over the middle of the field because everyone talked about his height, but like, I don't think Charlie Kolar got enough credit for being as athletic and as dynamic in the open field as he was. It's really hard to replace. So if you can stop the run, 
can try and key in on Xavier Hutchinson and make life easier. If you can't do that, and if Iowa State's offense can do whatever they want, buckle up. You're going to have to score with them, and it's the Iowa State defense. It's not a given that you're going to put 40 points on the board. Hunter Deckers is completing 68% of his passes right now, guys. 13 touchdowns, but seven interceptions. He can be had through the air, through the air uh, taking the ball away, as you mentioned before. But if he gets going on offense and is able to carve up that OU secondary, I don't think there's any question. The byproduct of that is they're going to be able to run the football. So Oklahoma needs to be able to shut down the run. Yes, uh, Iowa State only averages 3.3 yards per carry as a team. So you would think there would, there would be a, an advantage built in there, but guess what? If Hunter Deckers decides to go back, drop back, and throw the football deep, oh, you better be able to stop the pass, or that's going to be it's going to open the floodgates. If if they play like they've been playing in the secondary the last you know two of the last three games, um, Iowa State can win this game and probably will win this game. They need to buckle down that secondary. We'll have our full game picks on Friday on allcenters.com. But yes, no question, does Oklahoma win this game on Saturday? (laughs) I say yes. Um, I I put it in my uh, percentages that Oklahoma has a better percentage of chance of winning than losing. So, yeah, I'm going to have to say yes. Uh, I don't feel good about it, but sure, yes. I'm right there with you. I say yes also, but I, I don't know what my score and uh, final prediction is going to be on Friday, but it's going to be close. Um, it's It feels like a pick em. It does. I think Oklahoma's better, but in Ames and just all that, they're, they're marginally better, and then it's in Ames, which is kind of the neutralizer. So we'll see. We'll see what happens on, uh, on Saturday. It should be fun. We'll all be there. All right, we'll take a timeout here. Who's going to hop out? Ryan and I will hang with you for the third segment. We're going to look around the Big 12 slate, another really good weekend in a really deep conference this year. Talk about a little NFL stuff, and then also Oklahoma basketball exhibition last night. We were at the Lloyd Noble Center. We'll give you our takeaways from what we saw from uh, the first edition, first game for Porter Moser's second team last night in Norman. So we'll take a timeout. We'll be right back. Final segment next on the Elsinners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 153. Get some last few things here. Send you on your way into your final weekend of October. Sorry, almost November. It's kind of a... I'm just saying, we've really gotten pretty lucky with all weather so far. It's been a very warm October, but the cold is, is moving in. It's, yeah. about to, it's about to rain down chilliness on us very, very soon. Uh, last couple of days have been pretty cold, so that's coming up fast. Uh, I think probably next... I think truly warm games are over. It's going to be yeah. cold. Well, because the... Ki- the Kansas game was like the weird. So I was doing pregame uh, on stage hot. with the franchise. And so at 7 a.m. when we got there, though, it still wasn't like light out. I needed like pants and like a quarter zip or whatever. And then by the time like we were signing off, I was like sweating and just like I need to be back in like golf shorts and just yeah. shorts. Oh, this is a disaster. It was sneaky hot on the field. I wasn't prepared for it to be. I mean, it was it was warm. I was getting a little sweaty out there, so uh, I don't think that's going to be the case this weekend. It's going to be it's going to be cold. I mean, I think, like I said earlier, I think once the game gets going, it won't be too bad. But pregame and walking that mile on trek that we have from Hilton Coliseum all the way to Jack Tri Stadium, where where uh, we park, it's we're going to be uh, chilly right there. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll we'll make it through. It's going to be fun. Uh, been to Ames once before. It was a good time. So we'll get up there. This weekend, it's another big weekend in the Big 12. Uh, this conference really does deliver every weekend um, right now. I mean, there, there's interesting matchups 
across the board. Uh, once again here, TCU, who's the darling right now and is, is starting to get the attention nationally as being like, okay, this team might actually have a shot at the playoff. Major trap game spot. They go to West Virginia on Saturday. It's 11 a.m. in Morgantown. That feels very treacherous for TCU. You also have Oklahoma State is in Manhattan, one of the bigger games in the country this weekend. Uh, the Pokes out there at Kansas State. Asia Martinez doesn't sound great that he's going to play. We'll see what happens there. And then Baylor is in Lubbock. The Butt Bowl is back. Bears and Red Raiders Saturday night in Lubbock. Anytime there's a night game in Lubbock, I lean Texas Tech almost no matter what. But, I mean, all these games, I mean – the most confident, I mean, the spreads are OU minus one, Kansas State minus one and a half, Texas Tech minus two and a half, and then TCU minus seven and a half. All one possession, and you could totally see a, a path for West Virginia to beat TCU. It, it's another interesting weekend in the conference. No, ab- absolutely, because like when you look at, okay, TCU just laid it on West Virginia, but West Virginia had like, I think it was like five drives where they cost, crossed the, the Texas Tech 30. And the Red Raiders were able right. to either force a turnover, miss field goal, whatever. And so it's like, okay, West Virginia was moving the ball. They just couldn't finish off drives, kind of like against Pitt in their opener. They're moving the ball, then they have the the tip drill pick six, and then it's just game over. Pitt's going to win that thing. So uh, especially with the defensive line talent that they have, Stills out there, like all, all it takes is a couple of big moments. And TCU has shown a propensity over the last couple of weeks to fall behind way early. So – uh, doing that at home against Oklahoma State and Kansas State, though the opponents are better. Doing that at home is one thing. Doing that in Morgantown, that's a madhouse. If you fall behind 14 points really quick, yeah. that'll be a big test. And Max Duggan's done a really good job of not turning to turn over Max Duggan, but if he's on the road, maybe he he kind of gets a little antsy. And then, yeah, like the, the questions surrounding, like, Mike Gundy says, AJ Martinez is going to start. Don't worry about it. Chris Kleiman's like, well, he's got to run full speed. If Will Howard plays in that game, it's going to be a disaster because Will Howard still stinks. Like he, he had a couple of nice drives and then all that stuff. And then, yeah, the, the butt bowl is going to be wild because apparently Baylor can't play defense, which is just something I didn't have on my bingo card. Oh, no. Regardless of if Baylor repeats his Big 12 champion, makes it back to Arlington, just being bad at defense the last couple of weeks has been a, a head scratcher for Dave Aranda and that crew. Hundred percent. I don't know. Baylor is one of the more disappointing teams in the country for me. Um, really thought they had a chance to build on last year, have shaping. You know, there was all this like reason to think that they're going to be really good, and have a chance to win the conference again. And they're just kind of middling along. I got three losses. Might lose this weekend. And yeah, I got my eye on that game in Morgantown big time. It's eleven a.m. game there as well, like we said. So it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if I'm checking the score in Ames this weekend, you know, during Oklahoma's game and saying, oh, West Virginia's up, you know, late in that game. And I think TCU is really good, you know, but I don't know. That just feels like such a trap game spot. On the road in Morgantown, 11 a.m., you're coming off some big wins, you know, in consecutive weeks for TCU. Feels feels treacherous, so we'll see what the Frogs can do and if they can get to 8-0 this weekend in Morgantown. As for the NFL, it was a pretty light week uh, for Sooners the NFL. There wasn't a lot. Kyler played Thursday night, played all right. The Eagles were off. Baker still hurt. Mark Andrews had a rare weekend of doing basically nothing with the Ravens. Um, Joe Mixon had a pretty nice day. It seemed like the Bengals are really starting to find that that groove again uh, with Mixon certainly being a big part of that. One of the more noteworthy things really that's come out the last week is that the Panthers, without Baker, with P.J. Walker, upset the Bucks, And it sounds like there's a very good chance that Baker is going to get Wally pipped here and that P.J. Walker is going to remain the starter even when Baker comes back, which, I mean, people are acting like it's a benching. It kind of is, but not real. I mean, he didn't get benched. He got hurt, and P.J. Walker is just playing well, so they're going to probably stick with him. It's kind of a benching, but not. it's like a half benching, but not great uh, for Baker, obviously. It's always a tough look, too, when the backup plays well and wins a, a big game. I mean, kind of a rough deal uh, there for uh, for Mr. Mayfield. Yeah, interesting to see what Walker does uh, in game two, kind of getting the reins. But we've talked about this, and and I know that with who's listing and all that stuff, that sometimes you have to tap dance around it. But like Baker has been really bad this year. He's been really Mm -hmm. bad. And yes, it's not a perfect situation. But guess what? The NFL is a cutthroat league, and you as the quarterback 
if you want to be a starter, you have to go rise the ceiling, raise the ceiling of that group. And Baker hasn't done it because he's been awful, awful this season. So um, PJ Walker should have probably started anyway. He's shown that he can come into this league and be frisky before. And while Baker's done that as well, he, Baker hasn't been frisky this year in that Carolina offense. So that's probably deserved regardless of if Baker was hurt or not. But when you look elsewhere, Roger Stevenson was one of the few like bright spots on a really bad week for New England yeah. in football. I think yeah. the biggest news was might be that uh, it was the the game of standout Oklahoma left tackles. Uh, the Chiefs <laughs> and the 49ers, Trent Williams came back. Uh, yeah. which is good for the Niners, but Orlando Brown was making kids look uh, – or making the 49ers defensive ends look like kids, which is not something that that defense sees often because Orlando Brown was just smothering people. 100%. 100%. So we'll see how that shakes out going forward. Cardinals did get a big win last Thursday, so see if they can ride the ship. And uh, it'll be up to uh, Jalen Hurts to see if he can stay undefeated. To see. I think they got the Steelers, so a pretty good shot there, you would think, for Hurts to keep that going. Uh, with Philly. Let's flip over to basketball to wrap up. Believe it or not, OU fans who maybe don't pay that close attention, OU played a real-life game yesterday at the Lloyd Noble Center. We were both there. Exhibition against OCU, Oklahoma City. Uh, it's an NAIA school. So, I mean, you, you go in as an exhibition against, again, NAIA school. You're just looking for th – that game is not for the people that we already know. Jalen Hill – the Groves, bro, those are known quantities. You know you know what those guys are, and you, you want to see their improvement, but you're not going to be able to get that from playing OCU. What you're looking for, you know, is our first chance to see the new guys, the transfers, the freshmen, things like that. Um, there was a lot to like, uh, honestly, in this game. It was kind of ugly at time offensive, but it still got 89 on the board. Um, real quick, and I'll turn it over to you. Grant Sherfield, I think, is going to be awesome. Um, I really was encouraged by seeing him just, he's got a very, and hearing him talk in post game too, he's got a very level floor general vibe. Like he, they need that. And he feels like he's going to be a lot of fun uh, this year. I think OU fans are going to really enjoy having him on the team. Joe Bamasile, his arms go to the floor. He was blocking shots and getting in passing lanes. He's, he's going to be a lot of fun. And I, I really liked both the freshmen, uh, Milo Suzan and Otega Owa. Uzan was great. He looks really good. He looks like a guy who could play right away uh, and be a contributor. Oh, it too. But Uzan especially stuck out to me as this guy, this guy can play. So I think there's a lot to be encouraged by as much as you can. It's an exhibition against OCU. I mean, what do you make of it? But there were some things to be excited about. If you're an OU fan looking to decide, is this team going to be better than last year? I think we all think they are going to be. No reason to think any different from what we saw yesterday. Yeah, the three-point shooting wasn't great. The, the, at times, the shooting wasn't good, but uh, the shooting was awesome last year in the exhibition against Rogers State, and then you never saw that Brilliant. again. And and Porter Moser basically, like, Porter is pretty, he doesn't sugarcoat a lot. Like, he'll tell us what he thinks they need to improve on. He'll tell us what he, like, really likes. And he basically went out of his way multiple times to say, guys, we ran the most vanilla offense that you could run whatsoever and he thinks that because they've been running different sets in practice that honest he's like guys i really think like he's not worried about the shooting he's seen the shooting it goes back to his preseason comments where he, he was really bullish on the shooting all that stuff so if if porter's not going to worry about it through one exhibition then then i'll just cede the floor to him and say okay we'll, we'll see that but yeah you mentioned just the athleticism like even Sherfield for a guy that's not going to be the the biggest guard ever like it's just a night and day from like an Emoja Gibson who Emoja Gibson could be physical out of games. And it feels like Sherfield's not going to be bothered by that. Sherfield came out, didn't shoot the ball very well. Then he really heated up about a uh, 10 minute mark in the second half. And, and Porter, you know, pulled him out because, because he was pulling out all the starters and all that stuff. But you saw a guy that was like, because with Emoja, you knew it was he's either on or he's not. And if he's not hitting shots to start the game, it's never going to change. So it was good to see Sherfield like work out of a little funk there and then, yeah, I think the biggest takeaways from the freshman was that those guys look like, and Porter talked about this, Sherfield and Tanner Gross talked about this after the game. Physically, you look at them and go, well, those guys can play in the Big 12 right now. Will they be good? Yeah. We'll see. They'll have a ton of freshman moments, I'm sure. But just physically, they should be able to handle the wear and tear of the Big 12, which means that you have that depth that you can rely on. Because there were moments last year, like 
Alston Mason just fell off the face of the earth, wasn't utilized. Bijan Cortez, even, even though he had the really good performance at Baylor, like after he kind of got injured, they, they it took him a long time to work him back into the rotation, stuff like that. Feels like that that won't be a problem with Uzan Noe, is they'll be able to physically handle it. It'll just be skill-wise, can they calibrate up to the speed of, of what Big Toe basketball is? 100%. 100%. I mean, they're, you know, again, exhibition against OCU, but it feels that there was some breadcrumbs to be excited about. Also, you know, one more little bonus one, you know, Sam Godwin, I don't think anybody really knows just how much of a role he's going to play. I thought he looked pretty good. I mean, he made the most of his minutes. Um, he was getting to the line pretty effectively. And, and Oklahoma needs another big. I mean, Tanner Groves can't be out there for 40 minutes. I mean, you, you need another big that you can rely on. And Sam Godwin could be that guy. Yaya Kita, the transfer from Missouri, didn't play much at all till the very end, but he came out there and ripped a three out of nowhere. I mean, there's there's some little, like I said, breadcrumbs of positivity for maybe it's Godwin, maybe it's Kita, maybe you go small. I don't know, but you have to figure out a way to manage the non-Tanner Groves minutes. <laughs> um, not having a second big was a problem last year. Um, they tried to, I mean, Ethan Shackle did a pretty good job for a while, but you know I mean? That was kind of a weakness. So, um, We'll see if uh, Godwin and Keita can kind of fill that void. But uh, I thought Godwin did pretty good. I mean, he got, got some boards. Was, I think two for two from the field. Got to the line, like I said. Nobody's asking for much here. Just 10, right. you know, productive minutes, quality minutes. And he looked like he may be able to give that to him. He's got good size, things like that. So I think that was encouraging uh, as well. So not bad. Not a bad night at the Lloyd Noble Center. Crowd was about what you'd expect. I couldn't tell if I thought it was better or worse than I thought it was going to be. I think it was about right where I thought it would be. Yeah, it and fine. it was it was helped by uh, the OCU crew bringing plenty of people. The baseball team looked like it was there. The parents, all that stuff. So sure, uh, it was a there. It, it's about as good a crowd as you could expect for an exhibition game. I mean, yeah, I mean the reality. I mean, Buddy Heald and Trey Young and Blake Griffin teams didn't get people there for exhibition games or in October. So. Um, not much to make of that, um, but we'll see how it shakes out. They do play a real-life game in less than two weeks. November 7th is the opener against Sam Houston State. The women actually play at Lenovo Center right before them, which is weird. You don't get a lot of the double dips, but that's the case. The women play Oral Roberts at 4, and then the men play at 7 that night. So um, real-life basketball coming your way very, very soon. We'll be with them all season long on allcenters.com. Obviously, it's a little wishy-washy until football's over, but uh, we'll get out there as many times as we can. And then, uh, obviously, we got some big games in December, Villanova, Arkansas. Um, so we'll uh, be keeping up with them throughout the season. I think there's, at this point, and we've talked about this after Big 12 Media Days uh, last week, right now, it feels like, I think it's fair to say that if they don't make the tournament this year, it would be disappointing. You're hoping that they can make the tournament. They just missed it last year. You're two for Moser. Got some key guys back, some good freshmen. It's not a disaster if they don't make the tournament. They're not Kentucky or Duke or something, but you you would like to see this team make the tournament. I think that's got to be the goal. I think you make the tournament, and you're pretty much happy with whatever happens after there. You live with it after that. Um, yeah, they, they need to climb up the three or four lines they were lacking. That is why they ended up as a one seed in the NIT instead of in the tournament. Because again, I'm not expecting them to be a win the first round. I'm not expecting them to even be off like the seven ten line. You know what I mean? But just yeah. make it. Yeah, just get in there and then uh, let the chips fall. Just feel like you got some momentum progressing uh, as we go. So we'll see how they look when they get out there in a couple weeks. They get to see Bijan Cortez or Luke Northweather, but Porter said that both guys will be ready for the opener. So uh, nothing to sweat there. OE basketball is back. We are in the uh, the overlap period of basketball and football going at the same time, but that's all right. That's all right. It was good to get out to the Lenormand Center again uh, last night. All right, I think that's it for us. We're going to Ames this weekend. Looking forward to it. Who's got a place in Kansas City that we're going to eat dinner on Friday that he's really excited about? Yeah. So we'll, we'll report back on that in the postgame show uh, on Saturday night. Uh, that'll be our next stop in Ames. We'll be there this weekend. Of course, look for all our coverage on allsooners.com. Um, tons of preview lead up to the start of the game. And, of course, you know during the game, the live blog, and then after, full reaction from Brent Venables, coordinators, players, obviously us. 
And of course, keep an eye out for the post-game podcast, which we're going to record in Ames on Saturday night. We may dip early. We're trying to come all the way back to Oklahoma after the game. So we may dip early and not record it at the actual stadium. We may do like a car pod, which we did a couple times last year. That remains to be seen. We will have a post-game show, though, so keep an eye out for it. And when that one drops, you can catch it on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, or if you get your podcast, if you have an Amazon Able device, just say, Alexa, play the Allsoners podcast. I'll post it on our website, of course, allsoners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And if we do a video version, it'll be on Hoover's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. All right, that's it for John Hoover. Sign up a little bit ago. And Ryan Chapman. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys in Ames. See you then.